0: We've been in this book, and we talked about how this is a real-life fairy tale. And like any fairy tale, uh, there is the damsel in distress, which is Ruth, and there is Prince Charming, who is Boaz. And we've also learned about other members of the family. We learned about Naomi. Naomi was married to Elimelech. In chapter one, we learn they leave Bethlehem. They cross over into Moab, which is in direct disobedience to God. They go to Moab, and for five, ten years, things are good. They're two sons... Uh, we, as we learned, nicknamed Mr. Puny and Mr. Whiny, great, great nicknames, but nonetheless, that's what their names meant. They marry two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Uh, things are good for a while, but then we, Naomi finds herself standing over three separate graves and mourning her husband and her two sons. And so Orpah says, look, I've I got to go back to my family, which I, I wouldn't blame her. But Ruth says, unbelievable, like, Daughter-in-law of the year, right? She says, Your, you know, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And so they, they go back to Bethlehem. And at this point, Naomi is bitter. She sees old friends. She said, Don't talk to me. Um, you know, that's just not who I am anymore. I am bitter. I am resentful. This is not a good situation. And they're they're bankrupt, they're destitute. And so what do they do? Well, Ruth goes to work, and as she goes to work, she puts her hand to the plow by following along these gleaners, and basically it's what we would call dumpster diving today. That's basically what she did, all right? And so she's going behind, picking up anything that she can, any of the grain, any of the resources to bring home to Naomi. Well, this wealthy, prominent man of great standing Caesar, Boaz, thinks she's beautiful, and they begin a relationship. From the relationship springs a romance, and from that romance comes a midnight proposal we learned about last week. And in chapter four, we're going to learn about a wedding Okay, it's going to be a great chapter to look at. Now, here's, a, here's kind of like a foundational question this morning, and that is this. After the wedding, what happens to them? What happens? Do we know? Well, we do know, and I'm going to tell you in just a moment, but after the sparks fly in a relationship, what takes place? Here's, here's what we do know to be true. Everybody with a heartbeat <clears throat> is a candidate to fall in love. Everybody. How many of you have a heartbeat this morning? Check, check your pulse just to make sure, all right? You, you good? Okay. You are a candidate to fall in love. You are a candidate also to have a relationship with a family member or, or a friend, all right? And, and, and to have a relationship or if you, to also to fall in love with the opposite sex, to have a relationship, hopefully in marriage. Okay. That's just the way God has created it. But That does not guarantee that you're going to remain in relationship. You're going to remain in love. And that's the question is, is that possible? Is that possible? Well, I'll tell you what, because of our brokenness, because of our sin, because of our messed upness, it remains very difficult. And our culture doesn't help either because our collective sin, our collective brokenness only makes things worse worse. I was reading a blog this last week, and this blog was written by this guy from the UK, and he was saying that now today, relationships are at an all-time low in length. The average relationship lasts two years and nine months, down from the seven-year itch model that it was just a few years ago. Two years and nine months, that's the all-time low for the longevity of a relationship. You know, I was thinking about it this last week. There's a movie out. It's called Juno. And Juno is a movie that has the main character that is played by a woman, and, and she goes to her dad, and she asks the question, and we ask the question. And the reason we ask the question is because that God, no matter whether you're a Christ follower, no matter whether you come here as an atheist or whatever the case is, or maybe you're on the fence this morning, you have been imprinted upon your soul with this provoking question. Okay. And as we're going to learn in just a little bit that Ruth and Boaz would, would no, not just get married, the sparks would fly, but they would remain in love, that they would uh, raise up a godly son named Obed, and Obed would be uh, the father to a person who would have uh, David, king of Israel. So Ruth and Boaz, because of great-grandmother, great-grandfather of King David, it was in the ancestral line of Jesus Christ. And so you see this remaining love in their life. But the question is, how does that happen? Okay, because it's in our heart, it's in our life, but how do we get there? Well, we're going to find through Boaz and Ruth, their relationship with God is going to basically power them into several commitments. It's going to give them the resources through the supernatural working of God, the resources of what it looks like to commit in a relationship and to remain, okay? And so we're going to look at that together. So look at Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to dissect this this morning. Ruth chapter 4, verse 1, it begins this way. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Okay, so just stop for a moment. So in that culture, their streets were very narrow, and because they were very narrow, you wouldn't want to be in the middle of the street. I mean, there's all these people going by, and so you find a gate, and the gate in a city was the place where you wanted to be. That was their courtroom of our culture today, back in that day, so he finds a gate. And Boaz says, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Some guy we're going to get to know in just a little bit. Verse 2, Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. So the other person says, I will redeem it. So Boaz is sitting there is getting ready to negotiate. and You can just sense him sitting there, and all of a sudden, oh, there's Mr. So-and-so right there. In the Hebrew, literally means Mr. So-and-so. Okay, so he goes up, gets Mr. So-and-so, brings him over, and then he gets a legal quorum, 10 individuals, elders, to make this negotiation legal impossible. And he says, okay, so Mr. So-and-so, you're in the driver's seat. I'm not. You're first to the table in regards to a, real estate business transaction. So you have the legal right to kind of go first. I'm in second. I'm in the the wrong seat here but as you're going to see in just a few moments Boaz is shrewd. He's very, very, very insightful and he says here, he says uh, Mr. So-and-so says, I'm going to redeem the land that has been sh- basically fire sold. Okay, Naomi is in desperate need of a profit and so she's going to sell this land that's in her family line and anytime you sell Uh, Quickly, what happens? You sell it cheap, right? It's it's not sold for what it needs to be. And so this man, Mr. So-and-so, he sees that. He goes, yeah, of course I'm going to sell it quickly. And all that would have needed to have happened at this point is for Mr. So-and-so to turn around to the elders and say, okay, this thing is a done deal. And before he does, Boaz interjects. Look at it with me in verse 5. On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire the... Acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. So Boaz, he's intelligent. He's smart. He says, before you take this deal, look at the fine print. And so Mr. So-and-so begins to read the fine print. And Boaz points out, first of all, this land comes with a mother-in-law. And, and by the way, okay, she's not just any mother-in-law, okay? I have a great mother-in-law, personally, or I'm grateful, I'm, I'm blessed, and, and I have to say that because she goes to this church, okay? So, and so when you see her, you'd say that I was speaking good about it, but she really is. She's a great mother-in-law. But this mother-in-law, Naomi, she was known as what? Bitter. Okay, so she, Naomi's going to be living in your house. Congratulations, if you buy this land. Oh, and by the way, there's more. There is a widow, childless woman who is bankrupt, who's also going to live in your house. Enjoy it. Have fun. Go ahead, sign on the dotted line. Boaz is smart. He's shrewd. Christian businessmen, Christian businesswomen, take note. You can be shrewd, you can be ethical, and you can be wise in your negotiations. So Mr. So-and-so thinks about it, he processes, and look at what happens next. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal, okay, and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, you can just see him standing up, right? Today, you're witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. So, Mr. So and so, in the moment, has the opportunity, Buzz interjects. And basically talks this guy down, and we see the shrewdness of the business dealings, and then sandal basically is given, and the the writer takes this big like pause in the middle of the story and talks about these sandals, and it, it gets weird. Okay, it's like what what's the deal with the footwear? And here's the deal. Okay, that was a contractually binding um, movement for these. People in this culture, and and you're like, why sandals of all things? Well, first of all, that's what they wore. Second of all, the feet represented power to those people. That's why Moses, when God is speaking to Moses, God says, "Remove your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground." It's not only a moment of submission, but it's also, more importantly, it's a movement of commitment. And don't miss this here. This is why this is so important. That Boaz, he's always been about a p l He's always been about a profit and loss type of negotiation. And now Boaz is not involved in profit and loss. What he's going after, he's going after faithfulness. And more importantly, he's saying to these people in this room, I'm going to commit, I'm going to put my priority, and I'm going to stay with Ruth. And that's really the first commitment that we must say if our love is going to remain, our relationship is going to stay strong. The first statement is this, and you can look in your listening guide. I will love you no matter what life brings. Let's say that all out together. Ready? I will love you no matter what life brings. Yeah. One author, I was reading this last week, I love what he said. He said, once some thing, I wrote this down in my Bible, once something or someone grows too familiar, we tend to discard or devalue it. That we're attracted to the new, aren't we? If it's not shiny, we'll find something else that's shiny. After all, waistlines move, and hairlines move, and wrinkles come forth. I always tell the bride and the groom on their wedding day, this is the best you're ever going to look. Enjoy it. (laughs) And by the way, you're, you're, you know, I'm I'm here to encourage, right? (laughs) But, but the, the foundation is commitment, and, and God says the same thing through the gospel. He says, look, I will love you no matter what you do and how, what life brings, and in the same way this commitment uh, Boaz is making is, I'm going to love you no matter what life brings. And he says it through this one act. And there are several different statements within that statement that I'm going to love you no matter of the past we lived. Ruth, she was a foreigner. She had done unspeakable things as an idol worshiper. She had a past that was a mile long. We didn't get into all that, but certainly the case if you look up Moabites and what they did and how they did things and that's what her background was. Now she's following God and she's redeemed and she's got to restart her story. And Boaz says, look, I I love you no matter what life brings. And another... Story within the story of I love you no matter what life brings. I love you no matter the problems we face. And there, you know, how many of you would agree? Show of hands. You're going to experience problems in relationships. Show of hands. The rest of you are in denial. Okay, it's all problems are going to happen. There's several problems you're going to face. The first one is you're going to you're going to face communication problems. The reason why you're going to face communication problems is because men, men, real quick, look at me. You see the world through blue glasses. Okay, that's just the way you see it. And then ladies, look at me, you see the world through pink glasses. All right. And when those two colors collide, my friends, sparks fly. All right. And that is why we have so many different communication issues. But there's gonna be other issues. There's gonna be expectation issues as well. They are not going to deliver and live up to the expectations that you have. Okay. (laughs) Have you ever had this happen? Yeah, we all have, right? I, this last week I was in my, in my bathroom and I had a, a moment of expectation. that just wasn't, um, you know, it was the same kind of deal. And I, I took a picture of my toothpaste uh, bottle and I th- thought I'd put it up on the screen there. there. I'm a bottom squeezer, okay? Like, I, I squeeze from the bottom and I get every last, last ounce of toothpaste out of that sucker. And I think about the words of Jesus when he was teaching his disciples how to pray and he says... Pray that, you know, God's kingdom would come on earth. And I think that's an example of God's kingdom coming to earth. All you bottom squeezers, say amen with me. Amen. That's right. Now, there's some of you in this room here today. We don't want to point you out, but you're free squeezers. You just squeeze wherever you want to squeeze the toothpaste bottle. All right. And we're going to pray for you. So just everyone bow your head. No, I'm just kidding. All right. But here's the deal. I say that expectations are going to be unmet. Will we remain committed? There's also going to be financial problems. You're not always going to be up and to the right when it comes to your relationships financially. There's going to be ups and downs, and that brings stress. Are you going to remain committed in those moments? There's going to be, un- unfortunately, there may even be morality type of problems. Are you going to remain committed in morality situat in, in situations? Where there's not morality demonstrated. There's another one. Uh, there's going to be physical problems. You will get old one day. You will die. And will you remain committed even when the hairline and the waistline changes? This is so important. And you can say these words and say them often to a friend or a loved one, a family member, or even your spouse. You can say these words, I I love you, I appreciate you, I'm committed, and I'm not going anywhere. These words need to be said not only to remind yourself, but also to those who you're committed to. Uh, Let's keep reading. Verse 11, then the elders and all the people at the gate, okay, they're there at the gate and they're seeing this transaction happen, said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the women who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel, may you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through, keep reading, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So you, you picture all of the, the, the quorum and all of these people now gathered and they're witnessing this transaction and they're celebratory of Boaz and they're, they're, they're praying for blessing upon uh, this, this future marriage. But more importantly, the focus of these statements is God. And the reason why the focus of, is, is on God here is because the focus um, in Boaz's life is God, that he was a man centered upon God. And and Boaz could have gone along in his life and he could have said, "You know what? You can emulate my life. You can emulate my business transactions. You can follow me into the darkest corners of my life and my friends. He wasn't perfect, but he was an example of a follower of Yahweh. He was an example of a a man who trusted God." And this is another building block, another commitment that we must make in regards to a remaining love that we see with Boaz and Ruth. Number two, the commitment says, I will trust God and I will be an example of a follower of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, would you emulate me, Corinthians? Would you follow me? Let me ask you a question. If your life was copied, would the kingdom of God continue to be multiplied? If your life was copied, would somebody else, <laughs> would someone else actually want to copy your life? Those are hard words to think through, but words we must process. Your decisions, your, your rhythms, your calendar, all of these things. See, you have you have Ruth, who is on one side, okay, and she is a broke, dumpster diving, uh, past as long as this room, uh, individual, childless person, and you have Boaz, wealthy. Upstanding character, okay? They couldn't have been more opposite. E-Harmony never would have put them together in a million years, okay? But the reason why they're a perfect match is because of one thing, and that is they trust God and they're followers of the living God. And the commitment that we must make to remain in serious relationships is that we must trust God and we must follow and be an example of Jesus Christ. And along the way, here's is what is going to happen. You're going to ex- experience different things that you didn't see coming that, that in your mind are negative, okay? And sometimes God is going to act in supernatural, miraculous ways. And when God acts in those ways, hey, it's easy, okay? That's, that's not a hard deal. The Israelites, God put a bonfire in the sky to guide them. Okay, would that have been a hard moment to trust God? no. That wouldn't. How many of you have had a God literally put a physical bonfire in the sky to guide you on a road trip? No, nope, no hands. That was the same in the first service. And that's my point exactly. Because more times than not, the miraculous is not seen. But the providential, subversive hand of God is seen. And we may not always see it until it's already done. You see, as life comes at us, we may be asking, God, where are you at? And be tempted not to trust. But then when we look out the rearview mirror, we'll say, ah, wow. Look at your plan and look how you exacted it. The Puritans, they would use this example about trusting to be an example of a follower of Jesus Christ. Anybody, any, anybody weave here today? Any, any weavers and knitters? Anybody? Okay, there's a few. I, I don't do either, okay? Um, and I had someone correct me in the first service, actually, and so I'm going to try to get this right. But, but when you are a weaver, you have a loom, okay? And it's a frame, and you begin to weave the, the yarn and the fabric back and forth, back and forth. And if you, are, if you have a view from underneath the loom and you hold it up, You're not going to see really a good picture. You're not going to see anything that makes sense. You're just going to see a bunch, like a ball of yarn. The Puritans would say this way. You're just going to see a bunch of unkept fabric. It's not going to make any sense. And my friends, this is where we live right now. We have the loom up, and we're looking at it from the bottom, looking up. And we go, I don't, make, I don't see that. That doesn't make much sense. And we must make the decision to trust God even when it doesn't make sense because God sees the loom from the other side. And when you flip a loom over and you look at it from the right side, what do you see? A beautiful tapestry that makes sense. You see all of the fabric weaved together to create an unbelievable picture. And that is what God is doing. And it's not until we pass this life and we, and we come into the next and we celebrate all that God has for us and the eternal reward we call heaven, that we're going to look down from the, from the top of the limb and see the beauty of God before us. That's why we must memorize Romans chapter 8, verse 28. That's why we must stay anchored to God's word because it will remind us in testing times to be examples of followers of Christ. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. So we cross the final scene in the book of Ruth. This is the, the, we're rounding third, we're heading home in the book of Ruth. And here we have a wedding and there they consummate the marriage and they have a child. So you have to first understand that this wedding was the wedding of all weddings. TMZ would have been there. People Magazine would have been there. I mean, this is one of the wedding you want to be invited to because Boz was wealthy, probably wore a gold headpiece of some kind. They had very nice clothes, the best of food. This was the wedding of all weddings. And then they celebrate and somewhere down the line she gets pregnant and then they have a baby, Obed. Little Obed. And now I can just picture Ruth at his first birthday party. They're all wearing birthday hats. They're blowing streamers. And, and Ruth's just standing there and she's watching the whole scene and and, and Grandma Naomi is there, and all these um, family members are there. And t- I can just see Ruth, just tears streaming down her face. And the reason why t- tears are streaming down her face is because of the journey that Ruth had been on. If we remember back, Ruth chapter 2, here she is dumpster diving, nobody, foreigner. And then she meets Boaz, who sees something in her that nobody saw before. And that's exactly what God does with us, by the way. He sees things in us that nobody else really sees. And then chapter three in Ruth, what, we do, what do we see? We see that her journey begins to take a different slant. And then in chapter four, we see this dumpster diver turned the bride of Boaz. Unbelievable change of events. And what it does is it really leads us to our third commitment. And the third commitment we're going to see here is I will speak the the letters I see in you often. I see in you that I will encourage. I will see and speak those words into lives often. Because this is what God does to us. The things that you don't even see in yourself, the plans that he has for you, you don't even understand all the way. According to scripture and his sovereignty, uh, he is speaking the words I see in you. He said it to Abraham and he says it to us today, just like Ruth understood it then, that Boaz had spoken into her life. You see, love always sees the best in others. Love always does. And as Scott Smith shared last week, I'm going to say it again, you will see whatever you want to see in your relationship. If you want to see the, all the bad things in Cindy's life on us, you're going to see it, Right? If you want to see the good things in your relationship, Brian, you're going to see it. And that is the way we have to understand uh, things. So we will speak these, these letters I see in you often. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 4, he's come to Christ. He was a murderer. Now his heart has changed. Nobody believes him. There's one man, Barnabas. Barnabas says, You know what I see, Paul? I see a movement-making church planning factory that's going to flip the world upside down. That's who I see. And he encourages. And I'm telling you, it's, it's high time that there's more Barnabases that stand up as opposed to just throwing rocks from the walls. You know, there's, there's a man in my life, his name's Howard Hendricks, and uh, he passed away now. This man had a great impact on my life and thousands of others, by the way. And I remember I'm sitting in his classroom. I've had a horrible weekend. I was, I was a youth pastor. I was a worship leader. The weekend had gone awful. I was about ready to quit. And I remember uh, just sitting there after class had let out, and my head's kind of down. My pen has dropped to the side. And I'm just, I'm not, I hadn't, hadn't listened to a word he said. He comes up to me and said, Ray, what's up? And I said, you know what? I prof, I just don't know if I can do this thing. And he looks into my face and he says, yes. You can. You got it in you. You don't even know what God's going to do through you. And I look back now and I go, thank you that somebody had the the fortitude and the vision to say, I see in you something that you don't even see in yourself. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 14, The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous through Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. So here you have these ladies celebrating with Naomi. She's a grandma. I mean, what a change of events. She, she had lost her entire family. She was bitter. She was resentful. And now she's gratefully holding her great or her grandson. I mean, what a turn of events. And she loved every minute of it. So I just want to pause for a moment. Okay. And I just want to speak into grandparenting. I did some research this week and I wanted to share a few things that I wrote down in my Bible that I just thought are worth noting. You know, one author says it this way, that grandchildren are better than the fountain of youth for uh, grandparents get young again when the grandchildren come to visit. Is that true? I think it is. Someone else wrote that children and their grandparents are make unbelievable allies, and here's why I believe that. You know, my wife and I will be training up and loving our two monsters. I mean, girls, okay? And we're loving them. We have three values at our house, to love God, to love each other, and to love the world. and we're trying to uh, help them understand that, and we're walking beside them and, and loving them along the way. And you know what? They'll, they'll, they'll disobey, and they'll lie, and all these things will happen, and then the grand- parents come along, and they're like, hey hey, little angels, just come here. And it's like, they have done nothing wrong. And I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah. That's their unlikely allies, right? I wrote this in my Bible, and I love this. One guy asked a mother, if you had to do it all over, would you have children again? She replied, yes, but it'd be grandchildren only. And I thought, that's right. And grandparents, right, they get the one ingredient they must have um, for their grandkids, and that's sugar. I mean, just sh- feed them sugar, feed them sugar, feed them sugar, and then just send them home. And they repeat the lines of a famous poem that says, I've seen the lights of Paris, I've seen the lights of Rome, but the greatest lights are the tail lights." leaving my, ch- my grandchildren, leaving them to go home, right? Like, that's what grandparents say so often. The case, I remember my grandma, uh, she's still alive, she taught me so many good things. She taught me not to take life too seriously. She still makes me laugh. She still makes fun of herself. But, but I wrote a few things down that I wanted to share with grandparents. Just uh, take note, lean in just for a moment, where you, my friend, can be just like Naomi, have a great impact as a grandparent. Number one, grandparents can have monumental spiritual impact on a grandchild's life. Did you know that Timothy, in the New Testament, who led, her, who led him to the Lord? His grandma. Number two, grandparents can bring much wisdom into play. At the right time, at the right place, in the right season, wisdom from a grandparent could be life-changing. Number three, grandparents can be a place of comfort and refuge. So often the case that kids don't have anywhere and refuge just to be themselves or to be loved or accepted. Maybe the parents aren't doing what they need to do or they're overwhelmed or whatever the case is. You grandparents can have an opportunity here to give refuge and comfort to your grandkids. Number four, finally, Grandparents have the capacity many times to cheer their grandchildren along even when the parents don't. I'm working, I have all these things, I'm spinning all these plates, and you know what you grandparents have the ability to do? To cheer along your grandkids. I was doing some research this last week. Grandparents have a bigger role to play in the life of families in the United States than ever before because of the family dynamic. Let me tell you what that means. That means that our vision to see lives transformed through the neighborhoods, the next generation, the nations, I mean, through Jesus Christ in the neighborhoods, next generation in the nations can take place as grandparents model, love, encourage, and introduce Jesus to the next generation. And then finally, let's keep reading here. Verse 17 the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. And there goes a long genealogy. In verse 22, we end the book of Ruth, and it says, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of of David, We come to the end of Ruth, and there's all this genealogy. Why? Well, it spans nine centuries, all to prove one point, none of this was a mistake, none of this was just by happenstance, that she was the great-grandma, Ruth, or Naomi would be, or Ruth would be the great-grandmother of David. And David, with messianic implications, uh, according to Matthew chapter 1, we would see Jesus Christ come from this line, dumpster-diving, widow, childless, to relate to Jesus Christ. And this is the final commitment in the fourth, that I will always restore. You know, God promises that to us, that he will always restore. Could we make the same promise to those loved ones and relationships in our life? I thought about it for a moment and I just wrote down a few things for Ruth Boaz that lifted her up, right? From poor Moabite widow to the bride of a wealthy businessman, from an alien to accepted in love. And Ruth did the same thing to Naomi, right? Naomi went from bitter to joyful. You know what restoration looks like? It says a few things. First of all, it says, I will always forgive you. And number two, I will uphold your name even when you don't regard and understand who you rightfully are. That's restoration. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to restore all of the brokenness in our, in our lives. And I wrote this down. He wants to redeem the sinner to saint, the stranger to a friend, the outsider to insider, and from lost to redeemed. Maybe you're Ruth today and you're in need of redemption. Maybe you haven't met your Boaz yet. You're lost. The brokenness has led you to a point of zero return, the gospel would say this, that there is a Jesus Christ who has come to heal your brokenness this morning. And if that's you, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to walk alongside you. There's gonna be prayer counselors, my left, my right. I would love to pray with you. Or maybe here this morning and you're redeemed. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ and it's your opportunity now as a transformed individual for you to go along. There's other roots in your life and for you through the power of Jesus Christ to redeem and see other lives transform, pointing them back to Jesus Christ.